Welcome to Leadership Stuff. This podcast is a production of Life Connection Ministry International. I'm your host, Bishop Tim Daly, president and co-founder. We've dedicated this podcast to pastors, ministers, and spiritual leaders who are actively involved in ministry. It is our prayer that this podcast will bring encouragement, insight, and spiritual support to those who are serving on the front lines of ministry. We will try to accomplish this through practical teaching, interview with leaders who are impacting their communities, and heart-to-heart talks about issues that are affecting the church today. Don't forget to check out our website on a regular basis. It is www.lcminetwork.com. Here you will find out about upcoming events, important announcements, video teachings, available books and material, and information about our fellowship of churches. I'm excited today to have a new friend with me. I'm going to interview Pastor Jeremy White, the lead pastor of Valley Church in Vacaville, California. He's a respected leader, an author, and a pastor. And I'm anxious for you to meet him and to hear what he has to share with us today. Pastor Jeremy, would you please uh, introduce your family to our listeners? Tell us a little bit about uh, your wife and kids. Sure. Thanks, Tim. It's great to be with you. And uh, uh, yeah, God has blessed me with uh, an awesome family, a beautiful wife named April. Uh, and we're celebrating 23 years of marriage together this year, this April. And then I've got three teenage sons, 19, 17, and 13. And their names are Justin, Jesse, and Jake. So can you tell us a little about Valley Church? Um, and the community where it's located. It's here in Vacaville, California, but most of our listeners have probably never heard of it or don't know anything yeah. about it. So Yeah, well, just uh, because I know there might be some folks listening at any anywhere in the world, um, if anybody knows anything about California, uh, you may have heard of San Francisco, and that's a famous world destination for some people. And so we're about 45 minutes to an hour east of San Francisco, and uh, so we sit in what would be considered the east rim of the Bay Area, and uh, we love our, our town, man. It's a great place to raise a family. We're blessed to have a lot of diverse, uh, not only diverse uh, culture around us in terms of people, but also a lot of diverse climate, and uh, we enjoy uh, the beauty of mountains up in the Lake Tahoe area. We enjoy a number of great cities like San Francisco and Sacramento, uh, which we're right in between. We have the the wine country of Napa just north of us, and uh, it is a really good, uh, just a fun place to live, and a lot of people that don't know Jesus, and so uh, it's a big mission field here. Now, what about Valley Church? How long has it been around, and uh, um, what kind of ministry has it had in this community? Well, we're blessed to be celebrating our 40th 
year anniversary this year wow. in 2019. So the church was founded uh, back in 1978. Actually, a little group of believers got together for a Bible study group, and they kind of grew to about 30 or 40 people, as I understand it. And so in 1979, uh, they called their first pastor, Pastor Raleigh Galgan. He came here, and uh, God used him to just really uh, mature the church and grow it into uh, eventually a church that was uh, you know, really just a good-sized church, not only numerically, but just a great impact in our community. And so, um, yeah, so Valley is now celebrating its 40th year. I joined our staff in 2005, and so uh, that was in its 26th or 27th year of existence, 26th year, I guess. And then three years into that, Pastor Raleigh and our executive team at the time asked me if I would consider uh, moving into the role of a lead pastor and entering into him with in with him into a succession plan, where he would uh, over the course of a year's time we would sort of trade places and he would become an associate pastor and hand the baton to me to lead the church. Wow! So, how, now, how long ago was that? Uh, that was in uh, 2005. Is when we came. 2008 is when he had approached April and I about uh, that, and and we were of course. Uh, honored uh, by that, but at first a little bit, um, a little bit uh, surprised or caught off guard because I've, I'm, I think I'll always be a youth pastor at heart. I love working with kids and young people, and uh, I thought that before the Lord would have me go into any other type of ministry. I, I thought I had another good 10, 15 years of youth ministry ahead of me. Uh, so the timing was a little threw us off, but. Um, but we're grateful that God was in that. We prayed and took some time to pray and fast and seek God on that decision. And when we felt that the answer was yes from the Lord, then we communicated that to our executive team and we entered into a year-long uh, transition process. So you actually served as the lead pastor of the founding pastor for quite a number of years before he actually, I think just this year, retired, didn't he? Yes, yeah, exactly. So I was his youth pastor for four years, and then we switched roles, and wow. he became an associate, and I became a lead pastor. And so that was another nine years where he had served uh, alongside of me as an associate. And, uh, and then after almost four decades in ministry, just this past year, he fully... Uh, uh, retired and he's enjoying now. He does a lot of volunteer work still here through Valley and some of our uh, of our uh, community ministries. And he's enjoying uh, being a full time grandpa as well. How was that? That swap. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, you don't hear a lot of this. It was interesting. It still is. Yeah, we we actually didn't know how interesting it would be because we were just in this context where we felt God was in it and and uh, we we were following him and thankfully, you know, he I believe he was in the midst of it from start to finish and the process was incredibly smooth. Uh, we learned from a mistake here or a mistake there, but uh, it was a very smooth process and um, once that happened, uh, we we found out how rare it was because we all of a sudden had people coming out of the woodwork saying, "How did you guys do this so well?" And there's a lot of churches, you know, that are uh, that are coming to a place where maybe right. founding pastors or long tenured pastors um, are coming to a place where they want to hand the ministry to the next generation, and it's not always, uh, it doesn't always work out as cleanly as, as people hope sometimes. So we just feel really blessed to have been in the situation we were in, and then the Lord allowed 
that to open up doors for Raleigh and I to be able to do some consulting with not just individual churches, but even with a couple of denominational groups as well that wanted to see what the secret sauce was. And we didn't have any secret sauce, but we just, <laughs> it was just the Holy Spirit and yes. hopefully some humility and, and, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, I feel really blessed for, to be a part of what happened here. That's incredible. It is unusual. A lot yeah. of times it's yeah. pretty messy. Yeah. So yeah. praise God. What yeah. a testimony. Yeah, we, I do praise God still to this day when I think about it. I, I uh, sometimes pinch myself because I know that, um, and it's not because necessarily people are bad people or or, or had uh, ill intentions, but I, I just I know that a lot of plans don't often go as smoothly as it did for us. That's and right. so I feel really blessed that God was in it the way he was. Now, uh, let me just ask you this question. What do you feel that was a key for you guys to be able to work together like mm -hmm. that for that period of time. I mean, because obviously you're a different kind of leader than mm -hmm. he is. Sure. And when when you took over as lead pastor, did you start doing the majority of preaching too? Yes. Yeah. I was actually, uh, I became the main communicator yeah. uh, from the pulpit. And then, yeah. and that was a, a gradual switch over according, uh, uh, throughout that year yeah. of transition. And then, uh, yeah. And then uh, Raleigh would, would still uh, preach a a fair amount of time, but it was probably kind of about a 70-30 split or so, you know, because he was uh, still very, felt very called to preach and was a right. was an effective communicator. But I think, I think a, you asked about a key, you know, and I think probably the key to all of it from a human perspective was the humility that Raleigh showed in coming to a place in his life where he said, hey, you know, um, it's one thing to say that this church belongs to Jesus and not to me, but it's another to actually be willing to live that out by by handing it off so freely to the next generation without a territorial type of spirit about That's it. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> How did the church uh, overall handle that? They handled it well. Um, you know, we, we um, of course, with any change, there was a, a little bit of change in, in some of our uh, folks that you know, uh, we didn't, I don't, I'm not aware of anybody that like left the church right off the bat or whatever we have. Um, you know, we had a, thankfully a lot of what I would call early adopters that they were excited from day one, or at least at some point in the process became convinced that this was God's will and embraced me and accepted me and affirmed me and, and fell right along, you know, side of, of my leadership in such a powerful way. And, and then we have a few that, uh, you know, were, were later adopters that maybe were a little skeptical at first. And then you have those who I think sort of waited around to see what would happen. And for one reason or another, as small changes started to be implemented, you know, they felt like it wasn't the church anymore that they had originally uh, joined. And I guess one of the blessings and curses of, of living in America is that we have such a plentiful number of churches that uh, it's not as hard to switch churches as it is in, in some cultures. <laughs> true. True. So, <laughs> so, so how long had you been pastoring or serving in a pastoral position before you came here? So I guess maybe total years. And then how long before you actually became this, yeah. the lead pastor here? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, um, am in my 20, we're about ready to celebrate 23 years of uh, 
ministry and pastoral ministry. Um, so right around the time we got married is when we officially launched. It was just a little before we got married that I had begun serving on staff as a pastor. So it's right around entering into our 24th year, actually right around this time, as I'm talking now, it's late January. And so uh, 23 entering into our 24th year of ministry. And then uh, the first 14 were in youth ministry. Um, and the most recent nine plus years have been um, in as a lead pastor here at Valley. When I came to Valley in 2005, I had served in youth ministry for 10 years up to that point. So I guess the next question I'd ask, was it your desire and goal as a youth pastor to eventually become a lead pastor? That's a great question. I, uh, I guess I would have to put it this way. I, I never really had a desire that was burning in me to, I never saw youth ministry as a way to get into another role. I always saw youth ministry as something I wanted to do long-term mm -hmm. and was very excited and, and content with the reality that if that had been what God wanted me to do for the entirety of my ministry calling that I would that I would want to do that, figure out how to do that. And so I always viewed it with an attitude that, Lord, if you have something else for me down the road, I'll just, I'll trust you to make that clear. But it was never a desire for me to use youth ministry as a stepping stone into uh, something else. I really truly believe that you know, youth ministry tenure is very short, typically, at least in the American church, and I'm sure it's true globally. Um, and and I never wanted to just float around from church to church or to be in students' lives for a year or two and then bail on them. I wanted to sink my roots deep and, and build long-term relationships. Right. And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to do that because nowadays I'm still getting phone calls from kids in my youth group who are asking me to do their weddings or they'll, um, you know, call up and ask me for some advice or right. just send me a card and tell me they love me and miss me or, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's a blessing. That is. Yeah. And when I was talking to Isaac the other day, uh, I was mentioning how often youth pastors, if they're there a couple years, yeah, then they change. It's always yeah. to go to the next place or right. whatever. But you don't really get to know people in two right. years' time. Yeah. Exactly. Well, praise God. So what process did the church and the senior pastor take to prepare you and then transition you into your current position? Because you were here just a, few, yeah. a short time. So we, um, we worked as a team to... Uh, have uh, to, to really put together a plan that had some clear mile markers and goals over the course of that transition year. And I think to prepare me, that was very helpful because I, I know the frustration from having friends that are in similar shoes when a, a senior leader will make a statement, maybe a little prematurely to them saying, hey, I want to groom you for this yes. or I want to bring you into this. And they get an idea in their head and they say, oh, that's great. The Lord's in this. And then it's this long, drawn out waiting game with no uh, end in sight or no plan in place. And so I have an, a number of friends actually right now in my life that are going through similar frustrations. So for me to prepare me, what was so I was so grateful for was that within a very short amount of time, we went to work on a plan and it was a, a long enough plan to, to let things play out the way they needed to, to hit mm -hmm. certain mile markers mm -hmm. and goals, but it was concise enough to have a plain, clear end in sight and a goal in mind so that we could all work toward that together. And that, that was very helpful. So something I would encourage churches to think about That's good. and senior pastors to think about when they are getting ready to hand off. 
as tempting as it may be, try not to dangle a carrot out too early uh, so that the younger leader gets frustrated. Be, be, and if you, you do have to tell them way in advance, at least be honest and upfront that, hey, I think this may be five years or it may be two years or, you know, yes. don't tell them it's going to, don't give the impression it's going to be six months to a year and then six years later there's no movement. <laughs> Still hasn't yeah. happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. What do you feel was the most effective thing that they did to prepare you to take the lead? So the most effective thing was uh, probably the way Raleigh handled himself before any of this was even on my radar. And what I mean by that is Raleigh had always been a senior pastor that was very uh, generous as a leader. He shared his pulpit uh, with the team that he felt was called to use those gifts and had gifts for preaching and teaching. And he was never, he was very uh, guarded about the pulpit in terms of the quality of people that he wanted in it, but he was never territorial about it in terms of, um, you know, always having to be front and center. He always wanted to share uh, the spotlight and share ministry with others. And so when myself or another pastor would get up and use our gifts and it was very well received, maybe the Lord really moved, Raleigh never saw that as a threat to his uh, legitimacy or his importance. He was always had the attitude that a win for me was a win for him. And I think that really um, allowed me some time those first three years before they even asked me, I was fairly comfortable in the pulpit and I, he had given me a platform in front of our folks in addition to the platform that God had given me in front of the, the parents of teenagers and the kids right. that we were working right. with. So that was a blessing. That's good. Yeah. Now for us, there's a, in our ministry, there's an important word, discipleship. Mm. Uh, our church is based on um, discipleship. And we we really encourage be a disciple first, mm -hmm. obviously, mm -hmm. then make disciples, mm -hmm. and we uh, work with people in that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I'm just interested. How would you define a disciple, and what does it mean to disciple someone from your context? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a such a good question. A disciple in in my mind is someone who is. Uh, um, probably I would agree with what the classic definition that most people would go with would be a learner or an apprentice of, uh, of a master, of someone else. But what I think is interesting about Christian discipleship uniquely is um, when Jesus institutes the inauguration of the new covenant at the Lord's Supper and he raises the chalice and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And then, uh, you know, we're commanded to... to remember that as often as we do it in remembrance of him. And then right after the Lord's Supper, according to John uh, 13, he he washes his disciples' feet. He gives them his new command right. uh, to love one another as I have loved you. And by this, the world will know you're my disciples, right? And then, so he, he gives a new covenant and then he gives a new command. So we're no longer under the law of Moses. We're no longer under 613 burdensome exactly. rules and regulations. Amen. He gives us this new command, which is even more than just to love your neighbor as yourself, but it's actually, which was the summation of the Mosaic law. But he was to, he said to love 
one another as I have loved you. Correct. And uh, what I think about discipleship is that under the new covenant, a lot of people think that when you teach the radical grace of God and the, the new covenant, they think that's just code language for, you know, watering down the 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 demands or, or not caring enough about sin or, uh, you know, not caring enough about holiness. And in my opinion, nothing could be further from the truth. In, in actuality, Christian discipleship is so high that it's impossibly high apart from radical dependence upon Amen. Jesus. Amen. So, for example, the Old Covenant tells me, I, uh, don't commit adultery. Well, I, it's possible for me to uh, white knuckle my way through life without committing adultery and still never really love my wife properly. Correct. The new covenant says, Jeremy, I want you to love your wife as right. Christ loved the right. church and exactly. gave himself up for, well, there's no way I can do that unless Jesus is doing it through me. Amen. So the model for Christian discipleship is when Jesus takes them from that command, uh, love one another as I have loved you. I mean, the impossible command, humanly speaking. And then he says, let me show you how this is going to work. And he takes into a vineyard apparently. And he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches in John 15. And he says, he, he turns the old covenant view of discipleship on its head. And instead of the Christian striving in their own strength to be more like the master, which was the old covenant model, the new covenant model is, no, I want you to abide in me and allow me to live my supernatural, otherwise impossible life through you as a, as the nourishing sap flows from the from the vine through the branches so let my spirit manifest the character of Jesus in and through you and it provides a whole different paradigm for thinking about how discipleship works yeah. so that and it brings you to that realization that when Jesus said you know um follow me what he didn't mean you know uh try your best to behave like me he said in the he, he was saying in the way that i relate to the lord and to others based on that relationship that's what i want you to follow when we look at jesus example he was constantly saying things like apart from the father i can do nothing i and the father are one if you've seen me you've seen the father um these constant examples of their unity, but also his dependence upon the Father as he emptied himself of, of uh, uh, in, in a sense, uh, you know, the Philippians 2 idea of not considering his, his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but humbling himself as a man. He showed us what it meant to live in utter That's radical right. dependence upon the Father. That's right. So, so then the Christian life becomes not about rule-keeping, but about fruit-bearing. Amen. Amen. Well, as a young believer, did someone personally disciple you in your walk with the Lord? And the reason I ask that, for us, discipleship is not a class. Mm, yeah. We believe discipleship is life-on-life -life relationships. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we want to point them to Jesus, yeah. to love like Jesus, to live like Jesus. And uh, through the power of His Holy Spirit, like you said, that's the only way that is even possible. Mm -hmm. Um, that we can walk this thing out, but we appreciate the the mentorship, the mm -hmm. encouragement that comes along with that, and it's important, it's vital for mm -hmm. for our walk with Jesus. So, as a young believer, um, was there someone that really nurtured Jeremy in, mm -hmm. in a very um, close way? 
Yeah, you know, I think part of the reason that the Lord led me into youth ministry uh, in my early years was because of the impact that my youth pastor had on my life as a discipler of me. And um, I was raised in a Christian home, uh, which I'm grateful for, but I was raised in a home in which neither of my parents came from any uh, real lineage of Christian uh, living or teaching. And so they were rookie Christians. And if you, if you could say that, they, they didn't have the heritage that some people have. And so there was a lot of dysfunction and pain and, and uh, disruption in, our, in the peace of our home. Mm-hmm. Not that we weren't loved, but there was just a lot of dysfunction as they were trying to figure out what does this mean to live the Christian life mm-hmm. in this new context. And so a lot of that, uh, unfortunately, and I'm not saying anything disrespectful. My parents Correct. and I have a very open and honest relationship about this, and we, we look back and cry over certain things and laugh about certain things now. Um, but And there's been forgiveness completely in all directions, so God has worked. So I'm not saying anything disrespectful, but I'm just speaking openly and honestly that I think the um, I, I needed someone that I didn't have in my life early on, and my youth pastor came in and didn't you know try to replace my dad or anything, but just came and filled a void that was in my life um, that I really needed at a critical time. And it talk about life on life. He was the first person that that really showed me what a what a an authentic, not a not a falsely perfect, but an authentic. Christian family looked like in the way that he interacted with his wife and kids, and it began to strike a chord with me, and I said, you know, if that's possible, that's what I want someday. (laughs) So how did he uh, disciple you? Did he spend personal time? Did he, I I mean, did you study together? Did you do different things? How'd that look? Yeah, so he did spend time with me, I think, you know, uh, for a a kid— Longing for that, love is spelled T-I-M-E, right? I mean, it's it, and it does You're require kidding, a time yeah. investment. And so um, he did show me his time, even though he had five kids of his own. Wow. Um, he, he always seemed to, and of course this came through a lot of just amazing support from his wife as well, who, you know, supported him in reaching out to kids like me and, and taking kids under his wing and, um, and then inviting us into their home to be able to be exposed to their family life on a deeper level. And so there was a lot of time. And I think the most consistent qualities is, uh, he just really embodied that grace and truth, uh, reality that Jesus is described as, you know, uh, the right. law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. he was never afraid to tell me the truth, but he had earned the right to speak into my life yeah. because he treated me with such grace. Yeah, yeah. That's what you just said there is right. It, it's earned. Yeah. You don't yeah. assume that. Yeah, right. It takes a relationship yeah. of trust. Yeah. Um, what impact at that stage of your life would you say that had on you? Well, it was astronomical uh, when I look back. I don't know that I realized at the time how astronomical it was, but when I look back and I see how incredible of an impact he made, it literally not only did he, did God use him to, to put me on the right track spiritually and begin to grow for the first time in very real meaningful ways, um, but he also, through Dan, my youth pastor, he gave me this sense in which all of the other worldly things and pursuits that I had 
dreamed of as a kid, being wealthy, being this, being that, yeah. making a name for right, myself. Right. Um, he really showed me what true riches really are because here was a guy, you know, living on a youth pastor's salary, whatever that was. He didn't have a ton of materially mm-hmm. speaking, mm-hmm. but he had more rich. He was the richest man on his street, I'll tell you that, uh, based on the way he lived his life. And so it was a, such an example to me to be able to say, um, that's what I want uh, someday. And and if the Lord would call me into youth ministry and I could just impact even one kid over the course of a whole career, the way he impacted me, it would all be worth it. Wow. So that's great. Yeah. So do you still have individuals that you look to for accountability, encouragement, mentorship? Yeah, I do. Um, I have a couple of older uh, gentlemen in my life that I go to uh, regularly for um, uh, just counsel and coaching, and and uh, I use there. It's a relationship where I typically seek them right. out. You know, at different seasons and in different circumstances. I have a couple of guys in my life that I would consider my account accountability partners and. And for some people, accountability is a scary word. Um, I think accountability is just uh, helping people uh, go the distance with integrity and and to have a safe place to come when you're (laughs) so, you know, you don't crash and burn because you live in isolation so long thinking you can handle it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's definitely a a huge part of my life. Do you meet with these people personally? I do. Um, in fact, the one main accountability partner in my life, uh, he's a person who's a pastor in another community. We went to Bible college together and, uh, we both had gone through some really tough times in our younger years of not only life being raised, but also just trying to figure out, you know, when you're not raised with a, a super great heritage of what a Christian family or what a ministry looks mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you kind of stumble along in different ways in your right. early years as well. And, and so, uh, we were, we both were trying to figure out life and ministry together and, um, and we've stuck with each other and we've been, uh, there's nothing about one another that we don't know that right. we can't talk about. And it's great to have someone in your life that you can be that honest with who doesn't need to look to you for leadership but can look at you as a human and yes uh, <laughs> yeah exactly so be real with you yeah, yeah yeah for sure so sometimes there's personal contact mm-hmm. uh do you keep contact other ways yeah like we so emails and yeah phone? We, we do mostly texting and phone okay. and then um we try to meet on a regular basis it's he lives in a neighboring community so it's not always convenient to meet week weekly so we've made it our goal over the years to try to meet once a month sometimes we hit that sometimes we don't face to face but we keep in regular contact on and and um we always have an open uh you know any time of day any time of night right anything gets Harry, reach out. There's yeah. never any off-limits time Good. you can reach out to me. Yeah. That's so, important. Yeah. Man. So are there or is there someone in particular that not necessarily are you close to them, but their their lives have influenced you, their writings have influenced you, their teaching has influenced mm-hmm. you? Um, I mean, obviously, mentoring someone can mm-hmm. come yeah. And sometimes it distant, they don't even sure. know it, but right, their right. book touched sure. our hearts. So is there something that in recent years has really, someone has really kind of slapped you upside yeah. the head, really touched your life? Yeah, I have a number of men that I would 
consider mentors from afar, you yeah, know, and, right. and, uh, several of them I've been able to meet, uh, others, like you said, they don't really probably even know me or know who right, I am. Right. Um, one of them early on was a guy named Brennan Manning, who's sim- who's since gone to be, um, with the Lord. But Brennan was a guy that God used to really, for the first time, introduce me to an understanding of the unconditional love of God, Amen. uh, like no one else had, you know, it's, it's one thing when a preacher gets up and talks about grace from a theological, uh, intellectual perspective. It's another when someone talks or writes about grace from the lab of life and having lived it and been there. And, and that's the way Brendan Manning uh, and his writings came ac- come across. Um, like I said, he's since gone to be with the Lord. I did have the privilege of meeting him a couple of times and got to relay how special he was to me, to him. Um, but uh, since his passing, uh, another couple of guys that have really influenced my thinking and have been so helpful to me. Uh, one of them is John Lynch. He's uh, one of the leaders of True Face Ministries out of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is um, just such a phenomenal writer. Uh, he's written books called uh, On My Worst Day, uh, a book called True Face. It used to be called the, the, the or it was called True Face, and then it, it was re released as The Cure. And basically, his whole premises, you know, we don't need to live lives uh, with masks on trying to get people to love us based on who they think we are. When we have authentic identity in Christ and we're living from that confidence to the extent that we can experience authentic Christian transparent community, we don't need to be people pleasers. And you know as well as I do, being in ministry a lot longer than I have, what a temptation it is to be a people pleaser and find our validation through the applause of men. Yeah. (laughs) And that's such a struggle with yeah. it, especially our young pastors. That, yeah. Uh, of course, we want people to like us. Yeah. But sure. if we're going to serve people, it doesn't always happen. Yeah. So, um, when did you receive a call to the pastoral ministry, and in what way did God kind of confirm that to you that this is where I want you? Yeah, I think it was uh, in later high school. Mm-hmm. I had I was raised uh, in a very poor family, and so my mindset growing up was I never want to put my family through poverty. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to be this. Right. I'm going to be that. And so I had a love for um, for sports. But when I came to the realization that I probably wasn't going to play professional sports, you have that moment in your yeah. at some point along the way. Right. Um, I I thought about going into law school, and I wanted to. Uh, I've always been told growing up that I have a very uh, good mind in terms of being able to think through systems and Mm -hmm. and make arguments and and that kind of thing and how my mind works. And so I thought about going to law school because I knew I could make an impact in the world and and also make good money and whatever. And uh, and then once I had that experience through the the lasting impact of my youth pastor, the Lord just kind of took that that you know, not that I didn't want to be financially solvent and be able to provide for my family. Of course, I wanted to do that, right. but money was no longer my God. And, and I was able to say, hey, I can trust God to take care of me if I follow his calling. And that's when, when my life began to really turn around. I just realized, gosh, if I could help one kid the way this guy has helped me, it would all be worth it. So that's when that sense of youth ministry calling began to fall upon my life. That is great. You know, we got pastors out there that are be listening to this that uh, have sacrificed tremendously yeah. to follow the call of mm-hmm. God in their life. I mm-hmm. mean, in their countries, 
pastors might get a few chickens, you know, yeah. raise right. a pig or whatever. Right. So um, that's that's important that they right. hear what you just said. I appreciate that. So as we bring wrap this up, yeah. now what words of wisdom would you leave with our pastors, these guys out there and gals out there that are facing the challenges and victories of pastoring and leading their congregations? Uh, what would you... What would you leave them with? Well, I would say that uh, serving in ministry, perhaps, perhaps, and I know there are other careers that have high points and low points, so yeah, I'm not sure. trying to, but because what God has called us to is so people-oriented, you're going to feel pulled all over the map um, emotionally, and there are going to be days when you feel like this is the best thing. I'm the most blessed person alive. I can't believe God would allow me to do this. Yes. Everything's great. Right. And the next day, you may be ready to quit and walk away and, and say, I'm never doing this again. Um, you're going to have those days. And uh, no matter what context you're in, whether you're living in the Middle East under persecution or whether you're um, living in some uh, affluent society with, with where everybody seems to love you, you're going to have, when you're dealing with people and the ups and downs that people go through, and you yourself are a broken person just mm -hmm. reliant mm -hmm. on the grace of God every moment of every day, you're going to have those days. Uh, and so to, to really be okay with the experience of emotions. Emotions are a blessing, but we can't be led around by them. We have to be anchored in that anchor of the soul wow, that Hebrews good. talks about, that uh, not every day is going to be a day in hell, but not every day is going to be a day in heaven either. <laughs> this is the real world, and, and uh, don't quit because uh, we need men and women who are called yes. and who will stay the course by the grace of God. So whatever you're feeling, if you're discouraged today and you're listening to this, if you feel like you... Um, you want to walk away, uh, my encouragement to you is unless God himself tells you it's time to hang up the cleats or Say it's time it. to do it, right. unless God tells you, don't let the enemy tell you, don't let discouragement tell you, don't let the lies of the world or the flesh tell you, stay the course because his grace is enough. Amen. Now, I know that you're an author, so what books have you written and where can our listeners get a hold of it? Yeah, I've written a couple books. One is called The Gospel Uncut, Learning to Rest in the Grace of God. And so if you um, are interested in knowing more about kind of where the theological journey and the, the practical application of the gospel of grace journey that God has had me and Valley Church on for a number of years, um, that's a good book to pick up. And um, it's available on Amazon. Again, it's called The Gospel Uncut, Learning to Rest in the Grace of God. And then um, by Jeremy White. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. And then and then uh, I've uh, was able to write a little devotional as well that's been impactful for a number of quite a few people. We we did it initially as an in-house thing that we were just going to use here at Valley, and then the word started to get out, and it we got other groups asking for uh, a lot of copies for small groups and things mm -hmm. like that. And that's um, that's called Forty Days of Renewal. And it's just a 40-day devotional journey on what it's centered around is learning to take lies that we often believe, to take those lies captive. The Bible talks about taking thoughts captive yep. and making them obedient to Christ. And that's so part and parcel to the renewal of the mind because we're lied to 
all day, every day, by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so yeah. we need to uh, learn to take lies captive and surrender them to the truth of the gospel. And so that's what this devotional it splits life up into these seven different sections of family and faith and finances and the future and foes and 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 uh, friends and all these different. I'm a preacher, so I made there everything start with there an F. <laughs> but um, but uh, seven different categories really are are all of our lives intersect with one or more of these dimensions of life. Right. And then we just unpack five or six really strong lies that we believe about those things. And we just surround. And it's usually, it's only one to two minute reading. So it's very easy. Just pick it up and do a one to two minute reading, a devotional thought. It's got a scripture with it. And then a guided prayer time to oh, pray great. to start your day with. So that's called 40 Days of Renewal. Well, I'd encourage all of you to pick that up too. And again, is that on Amazon? or? Yeah, they're both on Amazon. Okay. Do you have a website? Uh, and if so, what is it? And how can they learn more about your ministry or the church here? Yeah, valleychurch.com is our website. So you can just go on to whatever browser and, and type in valleychurch.com and you can find out all about our ministries. We have our, our messages online for free. Good. All of our small group notes and Bible study outlines that correspond with those messages are there for free. And we also have an app if you want to go to the App mm. Store or the Google Play Store. Um, you can download the, just search Valley Church Vacaville. There's a lot of Valley Churches out yeah, there. Yeah. So search Valley Church Vacaville. That's V-A-C-A-V-I-L-L-E. And uh, you'll find our website, I mean our app, and you can, um, that's another way, great way to keep in touch with us from your cell phone and you can access all of our messages online. Now how about the books? Can they get them there or no? Uh, we just have the books available through Amazon. Yeah, we okay. just feel like that's the the easiest way to, to do it because we don't really have a shipping uh, department or anything, you okay. know, that uh, from here, but you can get them here at the church if you ever visit us as well. We'll, we'll give you a copy, in fact, if you ever uh, want to come drop so do in and you, visit us. So do you have a personal website? I do not at this time. I do have Facebook and I'm on social media, so you can uh, search me on Facebook and, and send me a friend request. Um, now, how would they distinguish you from other Jerry White, just, Jeremy White's? Just go to Facebook and look Jeremy. Just look up Jeremy White Vacaville okay. or Jeremy White Valley Church, and there are enough associations on my Facebook it'll page that they will. It'll I'll, I'll pull up. Yeah. Well, Pastor Jeremy, thank you for your time, and I know you got a busy schedule. You just came back from speaking in Baton Rouge at yeah. a conference, and we're gracious enough. That was yesterday, and yeah. you had meetings last night, and you're gracious enough to give us time today. So thank you for that, and. Uh, you'll never know how much these people really do appreciate uh, hearing from others Great. and will be blessed by by your words. Would you uh, close us in prayer for these people yeah. that are out there and and ask God to really work in their hearts to what we've heard and uh, yeah. that it bear root in their lives? Yeah, it'd be an honor. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have invited us to relate to you like a little child would relate to their dad. Mm -hmm. And I thank you for that invitation uh, that Jesus and Paul gave us to, to relate to you literally on that level. So I just feel led to come to you and just say, Dad, we love you. And I feel like there may be some of your children out there who feel beat up or burnt out or broken down. Uh, they're on the front lines in ministry they are working so hard 
to make things happen, mm -hmm. to, um, to shepherd flocks, and many of them are bivocational. Um, right. And uh, they have so many plates in the air and so many things to balance in their lives. And they feel, they feel uh, worn out and worn down. And I pray for those listening specifically in that category that you might remind them and refresh them with your grace today. Yes. And that you might lift their spirit and that you might whisper into their ear how proud you are of them. Not because they're perfect or because they always get everything right, Correct. but because you're perfect. That's right. And you got everything right so that that pressure could be taken away from us. And so Lord, lift them up and uh, where uh, the moths and, and rust have eaten away, would you restore? And would you make beauty from ashes as you're so incredible at doing in all of our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leadership Stuff. I just have to tell you about something that I am excited about. We have joined into a partnership with my favorite coffee roaster, Mr. Mornay Van Staden and Journey Coffee. Mornay and I have decided to partner together to plant more churches. And here's how it will work. We will make their coffee available to you on our LCMI website. And for every purchase that is made from our site, Journey will donate a portion of the sale to LCMI Church Planting. So go right now to lcminetwork.com, click on the resource page, and purchase your first bag of coffee from Journey Coffee. Together, we can do more. Well, this is Tim Daly. I love you, and I look forward to our next time here on Leadership Stuff.